Thanks for joining us at the St. John's campus of Redeemer Church. We are one church meeting in two locations, living out our mission to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. If you ever have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online at myredeemer.church or stay connected with the Redeemer app. With that said, let's go to this week's message. I invite you to hear now this reading from Genesis chapter 42. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive, otherwise we will die. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt, along with others, to buy food, for, their, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor over all, of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Very reminiscent of a dream. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, we are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I'll know you are spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you are telling the truth, and you will not die. To this they agreed. Speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly, we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked, but you wouldn't listen, and now we have to answer for his blood. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. And when he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. 
And then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right in front of their eyes. Joseph ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain, but he also gave secret instructions to return the brothers' payment at the top of his sack. And he also gave them supplies for their journey home. So the brothers loaded their donkeys with grain and headed for home. But when they stopped for the night, and one of them opened his sack to get grain for his donkey, he found his money in the top of his sack. Look, he exclaimed to his brother, my money has been returned. It's here in my sack. Then their hearts sank. Trembling, they said to each other, what has God done to us? What has God done to us? Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of, of all of our hearts here gathered, Lord, may they be found acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our salvation. Amen. Confession to make. I like Star Trek. As most of you know that. Recently, I was walking a, watching a documentary by William Shatner called The Captains. If you've not seen it, it's, it's pretty interesting. William Shatner goes around and he interviews captains of different Star Trek series. And in one of them, he was interviewing Sir Patrick Stewart, um, who is the captain in the Next Generation series. And Sir Patrick was talking about his family. And if you don't know the story of Sir Patrick, he, well, he's knighted, hence Sir Patrick. Um, but Sir Patrick came from a very poor family and a poor background. And his father, whose name is Alfred, whose name was Alfred, um, his nickname growing up was Patty Stewart. And he was called Patty because he was known for being angry and getting in fights. And growing up, as a young man in England in the 20s and 30s and 40s, being called a patty was not a good term. An Englishman in England being called patty was a derogatory comment because being a patty was being an Irishman. And Irishmen were bad people back then. I'm not saying they are at all. I'm part Irish, so I can't say that. People call me angry too sometimes. But anyways, um, when... Alfred was getting ready to leave the house, literally out the door to leave for World War II. His wife was pregnant with Sir Patrick. And the story that he was told by his mother was that one of the last things that Alfred said before he left to go to war was she was pregnant and, she, and Alfred said, if it's a boy, name him Patrick. That way if I don't make it home, there will always be a Patty Stewart. That's how Sir Patrick got his name. He, of course, did make it home from the war, but he definitely still had anger issues. Sir Patrick was named after his father because of his anger issues. And Sir Patrick, actually, when he talked about his acting career, if you've ever watched his earlier stuff, he wasn't always the best actor in those roles, and he talked about it because he said he couldn't act angry. His father had major anger issues and control issues, 
And he, was, he talked about being afraid. He talked about being afraid of acting angry because he said, I didn't want my father to come out. And as he talked about his multiple divorces and his multiple failed relationships with his children and other things, he said that the anger that was inside of him, the anger that was his father, was a part of him too. And it wasn't until he played some classic Shakespearean roles of Macbeth and Hamlet that he really understood it. And he was able to articulate his anger in those roles. And then, as an older actor, he could finally portray anger because he could go to that place safely. But it scared him. In 2007, he gave an interview um, where he was talking about investigating his father's life. And he found a newspaper clipping from the 40s. And it recounted an event from his father's war story. And I just want to share a little bit about that because I find it interesting um, because it really talks about what it means to reconcile that inner turmoil. Um, so Alfred's unit um, was being rushed to the front in Germany while Germany was coming through France. And the train got stuck between a marsh and a bridge by bombings in France. And the engineer uncoupled the, the troop transport train and left. The, the, the train took the engine and, and left. And for a month, the troops were abandoned in France. And they, they got out. Eventually, they were rescued. Um, but they were all given the, the term. Back then, it was called shell shock. Um, but Alfred, as soon as he got back and was classified a shell shock um, patient, he volunteered um, for the paratroopers. And then a couple of years later, 1944, um, four years later, he, was, um, he played a significant role in the liberation movement as well. Patrick Stewart knew nothing of his father's military career, um, but he was quoted in this article saying, I was brought face to face with knowledge that he was a man with experiences I was unaware of. There were reasons why he was an alcoholic and depressed all the time, I talked to people who, who understand post-traumatic stress disorder and described my father's behavior, and they've said, absolutely classic PTSD behavior, no doubt about it. And then he goes on in this article, and he says that after hearing the real story of his father, like the re- what really happened to him, he said, and I quote, my anger toward him, my anger toward him was dissolving away. That's what he said in the article. My anger toward my father was dissolving away. You see, the more that Sir Patrick learned about his father and what he experienced, the less angry he became with him. You see, we carry anger from our past. We carry it with us. We we carry that burden. And sometimes it's guilt. Sometimes it's resentment. Sometimes it's just bitterness. And sometimes it's just outright anger. Sometimes we're just mad. And sometimes it's from hurts. But oftentimes, just like with Sir Patrick, it can dissolve away as we start to understand the big picture. As we start to understand the full knowledge that surrounds what's going on in the situation. And when we don't understand the big picture, that guilt starts to fester. In our mind, it starts to compound because that's the way our brains often work. We start to add all the extra details in. You see, guilt eats away at us. It eats away at us. And it was eating away at the brothers 
Some 18, 20 years later, the brothers of Joseph are in Egypt now, and they're, they're looking for food because they're hungry. And it's 20 years later, and they say, speaking among themselves, clearly we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. This is 20 years ago. They haven't gotten over this yet. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Reuben, didn't I tell you not to do that? Didn't I say? I can imagine these brothers have been arguing about this for 20 years. I can't believe we did that to Joseph. But you wouldn't listen to me. 20 years later, The brothers are still struggling with this guilt. It's festered inside of them. And it's amazing. They're not blaming their father. They're not blaming Jacob. They're not saying, it's my parents' fault. They didn't raise me right. They didn't love me enough. My parents did a poor job. I have to go to counseling because of my parents. They're not blaming Joseph for being arrogant or proud. My kid brother, he thinks he's the best. I have to do all the work as the older brother. He's the baby in the family. Mama loves him best. They don't blame Joseph. They didn't even say, well, I was too young to know any better. They didn't blame anybody. They claimed responsibility. They didn't blame anyone. They claimed it. We did this. We wouldn't listen. We saw him plead for his life. We did this. And we too need to claim responsibility when we do those things, when we sin. Because that guilt festers. It's like, the, it's like the Edgar Allan Poe thing, the telltale heart. You know, the murderer's got the, you know, here's that heartbeat and he can't sleep. Because that guilt, it wakes him up. That heartbeat, it woke him up and he couldn't, he couldn't sleep. That guilt festers inside of us. It, it, it hurts our bodies. And you know, guilt can actually make us physically sick. Have you ever been physically sick because of guilt? Like been so guilty about something that you didn't want to get out of bed? Like your immune system started to shut down because of something that was going on? The stress of the guilt literally makes you sick. I love it the way that it says it in Psalm, I think it's Psalm 32. It says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Or, as Eugene Peterson liked to say it in his message translation, um, when I kept it all inside, when I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder, my words became day-long groans, the pressure never let up, all the juices of my life dried up. See, Joseph's brothers' confession to each other was an ongoing thing. That guilt, it was was boiling up inside of them. It was boiling up inside of them. 
And it actually moved Joseph to tears. He had to excuse himself for a minute, cry it out, come back. And the brothers knew that they had done wrong. They knew that they had done something bad. They knew that they had did it wrong. And so they did like we all do. Let's get out of town. We got to go. Just get, get our stuff. Let's go. Get the grain. Get on the camels. And they head out of Egypt. But they're still struggling with the situation. They're still wrestling with the guilt because with that guilt came a limited vision for them. They were still stuck in it. And with that limited vision, they limited God. Because that's what happens. When we have a limited vision, we limit God. Joseph's brother's limited vision of God prevented them from experiencing the fullness that God had for them. You see, they said, look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has been returned. It's here in my sack. Then their hearts sank. Trembling, they said to each other, what has God done to us? What has God done to us? Their limited vision of God, or their limited vision has limited God's ability or God's purpose and their, their, the fullness of what God can do. You see, there's a big emotion that's in this passage, a big thing that's going on for Joseph's brothers that we just kind of breeze over when we say their hearts sank and they're trembling and said to each other, what has God done? But I want you to understand in the, in the Hebrew here, there's a deep emotional response that's going on in this, their hearts sank and there was trembling. And so I want to take you to a couple other places in the Old Testament where this, this heart sank trembling Happens So trembling, the root word, happens in a couple other spots, a lot of other spots. And so here's one passage where it's used to describe an earthquake in 1 Samuel. Suddenly, panic broke out in a Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. That's the emotion. Okay? A Philistine army... Earthquake, that's the emotion that the brothers are experiencing. Another one, this story comes earlier in Jacob's life when Jacob steals Esau's birthright with with Isaac. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, then who just served me wild game? I have already eaten it and I blessed him before you came in and yes, that blessing must stand. When Isaac came in and Jacob had and Jacob had stole the blessing. Isaac started convulsing uncontrollably. I gave the blessing to the wrong son. That's the emotion that the brothers are feeling. Joseph's brothers were in shock with what had just happened. Literally, when they realized that God was at work. Have you ever been blown away that God was at work? I mean, not like, oh, look, there's God. Nice. Blown away that God was doing something amazing. So profound that it made you shake. Because that's where the brothers are. When God breaks through the hard exterior of our lives, it rocks our world. They didn't know that Joseph was alive. They didn't know that Joseph was on the other side of that 
royal palace. They didn't know that Joseph was that second in command. They didn't know that it was him. All they could see and understand was that God was doing something amazing. When God breaks through and we receive grace in an amazing way, it rocks our world. You see, we like justice. We like justice, okay? Justice is getting what you deserve. We thrive on justice. People should get what they deserve. We love justice. Mercy is, getting what, is not getting what you deserve. That one's a little harder. We say we like mercy, but we don't like mercy. Yay, mercy, no mercy. Show no mercy, give justice. Grace, on the other hand, is, getting what you, is not getting what you don't deserve. Or is getting what you don't deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is the hardest of all. In this situation, justice, Joseph to give justice to his brothers would have been to throw them all into prison for 20 years. Throw them in prison. Make them suffer the way that I suffered. Execute half of them, maybe. Take away everything they have. That would have been justice. That's justice. Mercy, not getting what you deserve, would have been not being imprisoned. For Joseph to show mercy would have been for him to just kick him out. Get out of my sight. You don't get any grain. Go home to your family and starve to death. I'll show you mercy. Get out of Egypt. Never come back. That's mercy. That's not what Joseph did, is it? Joseph showed grace, and grace was freedom. Go home, but not only go home, take this grain with you, but not only take this grain, take all of this money with you too. All of the money. You see, gracious people don't keep a list. Gracious people don't keep a list. Remember the cupbearer who forgot Joseph for two years in prison? Joseph was, the, and Joseph was second in command of Pharaoh. He could have taken revenge. He could have come to power and said, cupbearer, prison, justice. But Joseph doesn't. He, he focuses on today and moving forward. Today and moving forward, because that's what God looks at. God looks at now and the future. God doesn't look at what has been in the past. God looks at now, today, forward, present, and future. Paul said it like this in Philippians. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. You see, each of us, we must ask ourselves, are we keeping a list? Are we keeping a list? Because naturally, we desire justice. That's, that's our first disposition. People get what they deserve. They should get what they deserve. And mercy is hard. It's unfair, and we don't like the unfair. We want everyone to just get what they deserve. 
And grace is even harder because it's self-sacrificing. It means we have to not get. We have to see no gain. We have to lose something. We have to give up our time. We have to give up our revenue. We have to give up our status. We have to give up our power. And, and, but if we keep the list, if we keep a list, we build a callus over our hearts over time, a spiritual callus. The more we hold on to, the greater it gets. The more bitterness compounds, the more anger, and it gets a foothold into our lives. Psalm 4.4 says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't sin by letting anger control you. You see, we choose. We choose our path. We choose our path. We choose our direction. See, God offers us grace, which is undeserved, it's unmerited, which means, unmerited means we didn't do anything to earn it. Undeserved means it's, it's like forgiveness. It's the new life through Jesus Christ. Which means the old is gone and we are new. And Paul says it this way, and now, just as you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. And I love that analogy, that those words, let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. Let your faith, that your faith will grow strong and true like you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense, high nonsense that comes from human thinking and from and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God. So you are, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. We choose. I encourage you to choose grace and to accept grace. You can choose to give grace and you can choose to receive it as well. Let's pray. Holy God, we are grateful. We are grateful for the new life that you offer us. And we don't deserve your grace and your mercy, Lord, but you love us so much that you're willing to meet us right where we are. And you love us so much that you're willing that you're not willing to leave us the way that you found us. Guide our lives as we grow into your likeness, Lord. It's in the name of your Son, our Savior, that we pray. Amen.